Welcome to On Texas Football. I'm Bobby Burton. Hope you guys are having a good weekend here. I'm talking with Ian Boyd today. Uh, Ian, our X's and O's expert for InsideTexas.com. Uh, Ian wrote an article earlier this week talking about the point spreads uh, that just come out. It just came out uh, on a couple of different services. One of them uh, was uh, FanDuel. We are not sponsored by any of these betting services, bet online, any of that stuff. So don't where we're not trying to get people into betting. Uh, what we are going to do, though, is talk about it uh, within the context of what it really means uh, for the Longhorns and this, and this upcoming season. How you doing today, Ian? Doing good. Good. Uh, you, 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 uh, you wrote a little bit about this, uh, but uh, you, you posted some stats of basically some early point spreads from Bet Online. I'm going to put those up for everybody to see them. Uh, but a couple of them that I want to go down. Uh, Alabama, 15-point favorites when they come to Austin. Uh, that looks like a, you know, it's one of those bets where you'd be – I don't see Texas winning that game, uh, but the point spread I just never know about. I, th I think that's too many points. I think that's the, uh, the Nick Saban price hike. Um, <laughs> There was a time actually before um, before Sarkeesian arrived at Alabama, especially in the Jalen Hurts era, where um, you could actually probably make a lot of money week to week. I'm not I'm not promoting gambling. I don't give gambling advice, but uh, I did have to make picks for a column I did, and I would end up picking against Alabama and winning week after week because they would win every week, but the price I'm betting on them was so high that they would, you would, they'd have to cover like these 30 point spreads and they didn't have an explosive enough offense to do it. They later had a, an explosive enough offense when it was Tonga Vailoa and Mac Jones throwing to, you know, Judy and, and Waddle and, and, and Smith. But uh, until they had that going, they were for sure going to beat you, but they weren't going to beat you by 30, 40 points. And I thought it was interesting, uh, I, you know, this week with uh, Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban, tete-a-tete uh, -tete, I guess uh, I almost think that that Saban may try to come to Texas and just go scorched earth on the entire state <laughs> uh, but I guess I guess we'll see uh, the Longhorns going to have to to put up there uh, the other the other um, probably, one he's probably mad also that um, you know he hired Jay Valai and he tried to recruit all these top guys in Texas last year that had become a pretty good pipeline for him and uh, between Fisher and Sark they kind of closed it so yeah, he's. I'm sure he's itching to do what he can. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the other the other ones that uh, that were already posted. Again, this is from Bet Online. OU in the Cotton Bowl, October eight, one point favorite for the Longhorns. Uh, at OSU, I thought this was interesting. Texas at OSU, one point favorites uh, coming up on October twenty second, uh, and then Baylor defending champs in the conference uh a 5.5 favorite um these are all interesting lines to me ou and osu uh both one point favorites for the longhorns that's essentially a pick'em game uh in my opinion uh and then baylor five and a half that seems like a lot given uh baylor coming off uh the conference win a year ago i think um Assuming that these are pretty dialed in calibrations, like they've already run their models and everything for it to, to make these odds. And they probably did because you can, they're actionable. Um, 
the way something I've been looking at recently is um, a lot of these teams had a lot very experienced secondaries in the last couple of seasons. And um, Baylor is losing four of their starting defensive backs from last year and their top pass rusher, which was their uh, Mike linebacker, Terrell Bernard, who was drafted. Three of those four defensive backs that Baylor is losing were drafted. So that's a lot of good players for defending the pass. Um, and uh, Oklahoma State lost almost the entire defensive backfield to graduation or transfer. They had a bunch of COVID super seniors last year on their elite defense. And uh, Oklahoma lost um, both of their safeties and uh, all of their top pass rushers as well. Texas figures to be a pretty good passing team, even without Jordan Addison in the mix. And so if you just look at it, the direct matchups, I think Texas does match up well with the league and some of these top teams. I, I do think Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Baylor, that's probably, I would add maybe Kansas State, but I think that's sort of the class of the league with Texas. But they don't have, um, they're just not ideally suited to play Texas, I would say. They're not, if, if the Texas passing game comes together like it could with the talent that they have with, you know, Quinn Ewers and, and uh, healthy Jordan Whittington, Isaiah Nayor, Xavier Worthy, then um, I think those teams are, it's just a bad matchup. Yeah, so, so far, Texas plays 12 regular season games next year. Uh, the uh, odds makers have only put lines out for four, or for five, excuse me. I mentioned Bama, OU, Oklahoma State, and Baylor. Uh, another service called Bet Online has put out uh, that Texas is favored by 37 points in the opener against ULM. Um, is that too low? Or I mean, because Louisiana Monroe was was not a good team last year. Haven't been a good team for quite a while. Yeah, they're not one of the they're not one of the scary directional Louisiana schools like uh, sometimes Law Tech or obviously the Billy Napier occasions were uh, feisty. They're, they're not good. It's probably a name your score kind of game. Texas, I mean, you might think about it from the perspective of Texas is going to go into that game and probably show as little as possible because they have Nick Saban coming to town the following week. So they just kind of want to tune up and stress test a couple things. And um, so that's a lot of points to cover if you're not too worried about winning the game. But on the other hand, you know, you score 40 points, 50 points, and 37 is not that many anymore. So, yeah, I wonder if that one ticks up even closer to kickoff or not. Yeah, I wonder I, – my, my take on that is that, that whether or not Texas tries to dial it back or not open up the playbook against uh, Louisiana Monroe. My, my, my feeling on that is Sark likes to get into the end zone as a habit, right? So – uh, whether whether that's opening up the playbook or running off tackle with Bijan or whatever they're going to do to try to do that uh, early season, I, I think he wants to make a habit of scoring a lot of points and getting the guys in the end zone because ultimately uh, that's what great offenses know how to do. And and I feel like they did have a good red zone offense last year. I know that's a kind of a, a smaller thing, but when you go play a team like Alabama, it's almost imperative that you score on every opportunity. So. I feel like that's the idea behind behind it. They also have they can they can throw more than enough to score, you know, half a hundred on ULM without showing anything new, just from what they used last year. So, uh, yeah, I, and the habitual 
scoring is an is a good point. I wonder if they would use tempo much in that game and kind of road test that if they were going to use tempo against Alabama, which they should. Yeah. Um, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline going back to something else uh you know and you talk about using tempo uh fox is saying that they have picked up the texas alabama game officially that means it's likely an 11 a.m kickoff which plays into your idea of of using tempo there uh but i want to i'm going to fast forward to something else because what's interesting to me um not only did they come out with these five or six lines on individual games uh more interestingly is the overall uh line on the conference for next year. Um, you've been saying Texas is a favorite in the conference, if not the favorite. Uh, we talked about that last week. Uh, we've talked about it a couple different times, but actually uh, I believe it was FanDuel came out with the following odds. I, I want to show those on the screen now. Um, Oklahoma to win the conference plus two, 200. Texas in second, second best odds at plus 250. Then all the way down at 600 for both uh, Oklahoma State and Baylor, the two teams that played for the conference title a year ago, TCU at 1,200, K-State and Iowa State both check in at plus 1,800, uh, Texas Tech. Uh, this is kind of a, a surprising one to me, uh, uh, plus 6,000, uh, 6, uh, West Virginia and, or excuse me, West Virginia at plus 2,000, Texas Tech at plus 6,000. And then KU all the way at uh, plus twenty five thousand. Um, Oklahoma and Texas, the top two. That those are, you know, year in and year out. Uh, those are the likely predictors uh, predictions by majority of people. It just hasn't turned out that way for Texas in the last half decade to a decade. Yeah, if if I recall correctly, one of the few years where Texas was not in the top two, like in the Big Twelve Media Days preseason poll was 2018 when they actually went to the conference championship. So, uh, yeah, the media has not been able to uh, have a good a good bearing on, on whether Texas was close to back or not. Well, this isn't even the media. This is actually the people whose job it is yeah. to make money in Vegas for their employers. I mean, and so your, your point being, you know, we can talk about this, but ultimately point spreads are just that. They're, they're a guiding factor not the factor in 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 the outcomes of, of games um you, you you disagree with OU being the favorite or agree with that and you I know you agree with Texas being at or near the top uh, yeah I think Oklahoma I think um I'm assuming that those models take into mind things like uh their recruiting inputs into that roster are very good they still have a lot of talented players, even though all the known names transferred out or, or graduated, went to the NFL, what have you. Um, they have uh, some transfers in that were productive at lower levels. They, uh, Dylan Gabriel has a very productive resume. Um, I'm imagining that the, just the different inputs that they use in these models say that Oklahoma has a lot going for them. But I'm just very suspicious that 
I think Oklahoma is going to be a team that is very talented, but struggles to actually put all the pieces together in year one because of the complete overhaul and the culture and the systems on both sides of the ball. They're, everything that they're doing is different than how it was under Lincoln Riley. And those are major changes. And uh, I, I had been crowing all offseason up till now that, you know, they are a Dylan Gabriel injury away from tanking next year because they have nothing behind him. And uh, this last week they picked up General Booty uh, from the Juco ranks. And then they picked up the former third string quarterback from Pitt. Uh, they're both, you know, they both throw the ball pretty well, big, tall kind of system quarterback guys that make sense for their new system. But it just goes to show that they are aware, like they're a little bit on a knife's edge, certainly at that position. And I think maybe overall in terms of their, their uh, chances next year, there's even like Brent Venables had some quote about how he was tearing everything down to the studs to re to build a SEC contender. You don't, you don't win a lot of games when you tear a team down to the studs, you know? I don't think he was trying to say, like, um, I don't care how many games I'm going to win, so brace yourself. But I, part, I, I will not be shocked if we, if we hear a pivot in messaging from Oklahoma during the season that's like, you know, hashtag trust the process. We're going to get this back on track kind of deal. Because I just – I think there's a lot of intangibles that are going to hold them back that – are not reflected in Vegas models. Speaking of Vegas models, I, I found it interesting that that they have TCU at plus twelve hundred, and then KSU and Iowa State at plus eighteen hundred. Yeah, you, you've mentioned K KSU as maybe a, a dark horse to win the league. Yeah, you like TCU, I think, because they have Dykes knows how to score, and they have players that can score. See, it seems like FanDuel's a little closer to you. I have yet to see a uh, Vegas odds that agreed with me about Kansas State so I don't know exactly what that means um, but they have uh, they have a really good offensive lineman that's showing up on mock drafts now for 2023 that they're moving to his more natural position at guard in uh, uh, BB I can't remember his first name and uh, they have some other good linemen they have Adrian Martinez they have Deuce Vaughn they have like three returning receivers they have a really good pass rusher. I just see, I see all the ingredients for a good team. Some of this Vegas stuff would scare me, except that it seems like Vegas never thinks Kansas State is going to be good. And then when they are good, they just, well, whatever. And then yeah, they just count them again. I, I like TCU, um, I think, because there's enough left over on defense to really, they had some, a, a couple of guys left that I think are still playmakers. And then offense, they should see a real explosion this year, I think, under Sonny Dykes. So in that, that mid-range group, I feel that Baylor's interesting to me. I mean, here's a team that does graduate very heavily on defense, but their offense should be okay. Um, you know, I, I just – I kind of wonder where all that is headed uh, in Waco at, at this point in time. Texas Tech, even though it had an outstanding second half of the season last year, really came on, won the bowl – uh, they did lose Sonny Cumbie, but they, they brought in not only Joey McGuire as the new head coach, but they brought in uh, the um, uh, offensive coordinator from Western Kentucky. They could be very potent on offense and hopefully a little bit better on defense for them, uh, even though they're second. I mean, basically, the betting services are saying that Texas Tech is second lowest rated in the conference heading into next year. And this is a team that that 
finished in the top half of the conference a year ago. I, I really like what McGuire is doing. I'm kind of a long position guy on Texas Tech. It seems like he came in and his idea was this air raid thing clearly works. Every new coach here ends up running it and scoring a lot of points, but losing anyway. So he got, he goes and he hires a really good up and coming air raid guy, Zach Kitley, who worked under Cliff Kingsbury at Texas Tech. So that guy knows how to win at Texas Tech on offense. The McGuire is a defensive guy and he is emphasizing defense in the culture. He is emphasizing defense and recruiting. He's going out and trying to get what for tech are big time talents out of like DFW. And he hired um, uh, uh, the former uh, DeRuder, Tim DeRuder and uh, Marcel Yates, who are both have coached in Texas before and are good defensive coaches. So he's not just uh, he's not just completely delegating offense and trying to run defense himself. He, He's going to emphasize defense any hired good coaches to help him do it. So I think everything about McGuire's plan for Texas Tech to me looks really rock solid. But I'm not, I just not in year one, I, it's hard for me to see. And, and, and you have this issue that he's still in Lubbock. And so talent acquisition is not going to be as easy as it might be if he were in. I mean, Waco is, is not exactly a. Most people wouldn't call that a, a major city or major metro, but it is more centrally located to the major metros. And, and you know, they're going to have right. access. No different than Texas, Texas A&M, uh, those schools, SM, or excuse me, TCU uh, as well. Um, NIL, though. NIL is probably a game changer for Texas Tech. Maybe, maybe, because I think, I think what we're finding out, and this is something that I think everybody needs to understand about NIL, is everybody's money is the same color. You know, the colors on the uniforms may be different, but the color of the money is the same. So if a young man wants to go to Nebraska or Texas and, and he's thought up to be getting the same amount, he'll go where he thinks he is needed most. Same with a, a receiver or what have you. I, I don't, I feel like people are, are, you know, saying, oh, well, you know, that might help. Well, it might help if you're competing against UTSA for players, you know, but that's not who Texas Tech wants to compete against for players. They're going to be competing against a Texas, Texas A&M, Baylor, uh, SMU, TCU, who are all going to be able to do the same thing that they would, would be able to do, in my opinion, some even more. Uh, so I, I feel like that's a, that's a little, little bit of a, a – I feel like that's overstated, I guess is the best way. Um, you, look at, you look at one more team I want to talk about, and that's West Virginia – JT Daniels coming in, uh, the transfer from Georgia. They, you know, we that's the one team out of this whole group I just don't have a good feel for, I don't think. Yeah, I I tend to agree. I, to me, they, on paper, they look like they could be pretty good, especially on offense. Uh, they lose a lot on defense. They kept losing guys to the portal. They kept having, like, every week some new guy would show up in the portal and their fans would freak out and the coaches would be like, well, you know, we kind of expected and it's all right. And then, and then the week later, another defensive starter or defensive guy they were expected to count on jumps in the portal. Eventually, they lost to Keem Mesador, who they definitely did not expect to lose. And that guy's a big-time interior defensive line talent. You know, that's a premium position. You're not going to – you probably don't have another one of those, you know, in the backyard that's red that's ripe. Um, gotcha. So I, there's some concerns there, but 
I don't know. I, I see them returning all their offensive linemen, their best receiver, and then adding JT Daniels. And to me, that seems like a potential uh, dark horse for sure. That's interesting. Um, I find it interesting also that Texas is the favorite against OU, OSU, and Baylor, who are the three top opponents in the Big 12. Yet Texas is not the favorite to win the conference. Yeah. I mean, that, that means that they don't trust in the consistency of Texas, perhaps, compared to what Oklahoma may, may be able to put out there. Yeah, maybe that um, it could be something, like I said, where they don't feel like Oklahoma matches up well enough with Texas to make them a favorite, yet they feel that Oklahoma will do the Oklahoma thing and run over most of the rest of the conference. Which should actually would make some degree of sense to me because they're going to be up tempo next year. They they still have big offensive linemen coached by Bill Badenbaugh. Um, they still have receivers. So it to me, Oklahoma actually looks like a team next year that's going to vacillate between looking very good and then looking like what happened because of the nature of the systems they're going to use on offense and defense. And uh, you know, you could be such you could be a team like that and drop a couple big games to like Texas and, uh, you know, maybe Baylor, but then still win the big 12. So. Well, some of the Oklahoma fans. Favorite though. So I don't know. Some of the Oklahoma fans I talked to hope it's, they they don't necessarily hope it's the exact same, but they feel like it might be the same as Bob Stoops first year in Norman, where he took over for uh, John Blake, who had kind of lost his way. And not that Lincoln Riley lost his way by any stretch, but, he had definitely not uh, coached that team as well, probably as, as he would like in retrospect. Um, and, uh, you know, if that's the case, I expect a new offense to be sometimes like hot and a new defense sometimes to be cold. Um, so anyways, I think that's, that's probably enough for today. Ian, I appreciate your time, bud. Um, and uh, we'll get back to it again next week. Uh, For Ian Boyd, I'm Bobby Burton. This has been On Texas Football.